so good to see you guys. Uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 27. As we're getting to the end here of the book of Acts, I was going back to, to see when we started the book of Acts, and we started it back in January, January 6th of last year, 2019. So we've been kind of going through the book of Acts very methodically and kind of going a little bit at a time. But in these last several chapters, as you guys know, we've been covering chapters at a time. And I know there's still those naysayers that say, you can't keep that up, Pastor Zeke. You're going too fast. And it's like, wow, that's where we're at right now. And I finished because the first service, I had a couple of hecklers saying that I wasn't going to be able to do it, and I proved them wrong. So anyways, we're going to do the whole chapter here. What, is, what I find interesting, <laughs> thank you guys for not being hecklers, not really, I'm kidding. Um, what I find interesting is that Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, never gives us an indication throughout his writing that he himself was a sailor in any way, shape, or form. And yet when we get to chapter 27 here, it reads like a ship log, if you will, of all the little details of everything that was going on. Now, Luke may have wanted to become a sailor before he became a doctor, or maybe it was a hobby of his, or, or it could be that he knew that, um, uh, that the, the guy that he was writing to, I uh, can't remember his name right now, Anyways, the guy that he's writing this letter to, um, Trophilus or whatever his name is, um, that maybe he was interested in all these kind of sailorish kind of wordings and, and, and details that he was going through. But be that as it may, the, the writer of the book of Acts gives us so much detail, especially in this chapter that we're going to be going through, that, that we see a lot of details. And there are times throughout the book of Acts that he gives us detail, and yet there's other times where he get nothing. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we were going from chapter 24 to chapter 25, from one verse to the other, we have two years and nothing happens in those two years. And he never tells us anything that happens in those two years. So two years fly by from one verse to the other. And yet we get into this chapter and we have detail after detail after detail. And some people are going, man, why do I need to know all those details? They're not that important for me in my life. And I understand, and I think we need to understand, that all of it is still the Word of God. And I know that sometimes it just doesn't make sense. How is that possible? Why do I need that? But the true author of the Word of God, which is the Holy Spirit, gives us what we need to hear and what we need to know. And sometimes that's a lot of details, and sometimes it's a lack of details. Now, again... Details, are, I think, are important. For me, I love the details because God, God is interested in details. He is a God of details. And He is concerned with every little last detail of your life. Every last little detail. Which I think sometimes we think, well, God's not that interested in, in, in the things I go through. It's like, yes, He is. And don't lie to yourself, because God is always into details. And I think sometimes, I, I, I get it, man, it's like, why would God be interested in, in the things that I go through? And yet He is. And I think that's why when we read a lot of details, 
Some people might be overwhelmed with all the details, but I think it's good for us to understand that God is a God of details. And so let's set, set sail on this voyage. Now, I'd probably be, be using some corny lines about sailoring and ships and stuff. I've never been on a ship. I don't know what it looks like or feels like, but I read a lot. <laughs> and so you'll hear some corny stuff. Be that as it may, let's move on. Chapter 27, let's read the first three verses, and then we'll read in increments going on. It says, now, when it was decided that we should, set, that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, the, a centurion of the August, Augustan regiment. So entering the ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, the Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Now, if you notice, the title of my message here is, It Was Decided. And I kind of wanted to focus on that word decided because we've already read just that little portion and we're going to continue to read that decisions will be made. And these decisions that are going to be made throughout our chapter here There's, there, there's people's lives at stake when all these decisions are being made. And who is the one that's responsible, that's actually responsible for making these kinds of decisions? Because people are making decisions as we read and you're going, but they, they, didn't, they didn't have their, their say. They're just part of this whole thing. And so who actually is in charge of these decisions? And I think what, what my mind was thinking about is that ultimately, if you're following the Lord, you know that He is the one that makes the decisions in our lives. We, we seek the Lord, we can make our plans, but He is the one that directs our ways. And so this whole thing about decisions that are being made here, we have to ultimately understand that God is the one that's in charge of this whole thing. From the Vines Expository Dictionary and from the Strong's Concordance, words like to determine, resolve, decree, among other words, are associated with the word decided. And so it was decided by the powers that be, and in this case it's Festus, Festus being the governor of that region who was in charge of Paul, who, who was a prisoner of his, who had already appealed to Caesar that he would be going to Rome. I don't know exactly what the timeline is from the last time we, we, we looked at, at these verses here uh, from last week, but, but now it was time. And so Festus is the one that's making this decision to ship Paul off to Rome, Italy. Now, as we will see in our text, as we go along this chapter, it is not going to be a pleasure cruise. Not one bit. 
It might seem like it will start off that way, but it's not going to be a pleasure cruise. The writer says, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy. Notice, if you will, that Luke, the writer, includes himself on going, uh, in, in going on this trip. What we've seen from the writer is that sometimes he, he's saying they, 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 and then there's times he says we, and he joins in the trip, and then there's another time it's like, well, they, they went off, and so you're going, okay, so he's not part of that trip, and now, at this moment, he has now joined this trip once again. And so he is going to go on the boat, not as a prisoner, because we never get any kind of indication that, that Luke ever gets arrested or anything like that. And so he's probably going as an assistant to Paul, but because he is a doctor, it could be that Paul has his personal physician going along with him. And so Luke joins the party here. Aristarchus is another man that is, that is mentioned here, and perhaps he is going with Paul as a helper, but we do know from Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, that he is mentioned there as a fellow prisoner. So it's quite possible that he had been in prison with Paul, got saved, and he is now also being shipped off to Rome. However the case may be, he is there with them. He is a brother in the Lord with them, and he would become a fellow prisoner with Paul. It says that it was one by the name of Julius, a centurion, who was in charge of Paul. A centurion was one who, who overlooked at least a hundred soldiers under his regiment. So all these guys are probably going to be a part of this whole trip with him. And it tells us here that he treated Paul kindly and gave him liberties. And so they set sail from uh, Caesarea and they begin to go north up the Mediterranean Sea and they're going to hit Sidon which was about 80 miles north of where they started. And it says, and the next day when they got to Sidon they found some friends and it's interesting because Paul had never in, in our writings here had never told us that he had been to Sidon, and yet when he lands there, there's some friends there waiting for him. There's some brothers. So they might have come from other places, and they started a church there in Sidon, and so when he gets there, somehow word got to them, and he, they were able to go and visit with him. And I love the fact that when they, they met him, maybe for the first time they knew of him, they came, and it says that they cared for him, that he received care from them. And I love the fact that this is what brothers and sisters do. We minister to one another. We care for one another. That word minister means steward. We serve. And so that, that is what we see here that is happening. The liberties that were taken either going off the ship or people coming on the ship, but they were going to minister to one another. And so that's who these guys are. So they are there inside in verse 4 to, uh, to verse 13. It says, When, it was, when we put to sea... From there we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship 
sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days, and many and arrived with difficulty to Nidus, the winds not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmoni, passing with passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and northwest and winter there. When the south winds blew softly, supposing they had, that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. And so in verse 4 it says, And when they had put to, say, to, to sea. Their, their, their next leg of this trip now going after leaving Caesarea, going north 80 miles, they were now in, in Sidon. And from there, they were going to go across on the Mediterranean Sea, Cyprus being not far off the coast, but, but still quite a distance. They were going to go on the north side of the island of Creek. It would probably be good for you if you wanted to turn to your map and follow along all these places. If you have a Bible that has a map in the back, it's map 8 for the most part, that you could find this trip on. And so now they are on the north side of the island of Cyprus. I mean, yeah, Cyprus. So, so they're on this, and, and, and they're doing that instead of going under, but they're going over because of the winds, to protect them from the winds. Again, decisions are being made here. Do we go this way or do we go that way? Someone, again, the captains and all these people who's in charge are the ones that are making these decisions. Paul has nothing to say about these kinds of decisions. He is a prisoner at this time. He is only being put onto the places that he's being told to be put onto. It is Julius who is making decisions as to what ship to get onto. So they finally make a decision and they, they are going to set sail. And it tells us here, as as they're going, and again, these, de these details might sound minor to you, but there's some precious cargo on this ship, Paul being one of them and the guys that are with him. And it says, as they're going, that they are going contrary to the, the winds, or the winds are contrary to them. For, so for the next 350 miles to 400 miles, they have a headwind. They're going against the wind, and it's just making more and more difficult to get to their destination. And so they, some, whoever made this decision, again, is just 
hard, but they will get to their destination as we have seen. But when they get to where they wanted to be in Myra, it says in verse 6, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. So once they get to their destination of Myra, they made another decision. The ship that they were originally on would, would go a little west, but then it would head north up the Asian Sea to their destination where that ship's home base was. So quite possibly, this is why Julius is now looking for another ship that would just continue to go full on west towards Italy. And so because of that, they find a different ship, a bigger ship, a grain ship from Alexandria, Egypt. And this ship would carry a crew and passengers of 276 people. And it tells us that when they took off in this Alexandrian ship, in verse 7, that they sailed slowly for many days, arriving to, to Nidus with difficulty. If you've already kind of caught on, it's becoming harder and harder. This journey is becoming harder and harder for them. It, it, things are happening that, that is making it difficult for them to travel at their normal speed. Things are not happening the way they wanted them to happen. It says, but the wind not permitting. You see, from that place, from uh, Nidus, they were supposed to continue west. But because of the winds not permitting them, they were now going to head southwest from there. And they would now be going to an island or by an island called Crete. And they were, they were going to get to the island, but not the northern part, but the southern part, the south side of the island of Crete. And getting there, again, it tells us that they, they were passing it with difficulty. This trip is just getting harder and harder. And as I'm looking at the, the, the progression, when they started off kind of with some smooth sailing, leaving uh, Caesarea, it seemed like they got there fairly quickly, no problemos, right? Going all the way up. But when they started heading west, it just got harder and harder. And this is the question that I have when I'm looking at words like this and I'm underlining the progression here. When is it time to sit things out? When do you just wait? When is it time to continue no matter how difficult life gets? And I think that's where sometimes we get in a place where it's like, well, of course it's going to be smooth sailing all the time, isn't it? Because that's what God wants for us, smooth sailing. If you think that, you're lying to yourself. And you're probably not reading your word on a regular basis to understand that life is not always smooth sailing. But I think that's what we think we should have, smooth sailing. And so when is it time in our lives to just go, now's not the time to move forward. When, when are we thinking, well, God, you can't make it this difficult because you don't want difficulty in my life. And I think sometimes God wants it to be difficult. And I know for some you're going, he would never want difficulty. It's like, again, 
Don't lie to yourself. There's times that God wants us to go through the difficult moments because it is in those difficult moments that we learn what God is actually doing in our lives. And sometimes it's not easy for us. But we don't like that. We, we, we want the pleasure cruise. We want smooth sailing. Why? Because I'm a child of God, of course. He wants everything good for me. And it's like, no, he doesn't. It's not about being happy. <laughs> it's not about being, being, you know, everything being hunky-dory. There's times that it's like, no, it's rough. It's hard. But when do we do that? When do we just wait? And some people, well, I've waited, Pastor Zeke. It's like, well, how long have you been waiting? Well, two days. <laughs> well, maybe God wants you to wait a week. Oh, God forbid, two a week. Maybe a month. And, and, and you see, we always think like, well, no, of course, God, you want me to move forward. It's like, yeah, he does. But there's times that he says, yeah, when you move, it will be difficult. And there are times he just says, hey, just sit. Just rest. Just do nothing. And you're going, that just so, sounds so contrary, but there's times that God wants us to. And those are the difficult times in our lives when we're trying to figure out. It'd be nice if he just spelled it out for us. I can guarantee you this. If you're reading his word on a regular basis, systematically just reading through the word, he will give you direction more than you could ever imagine. I'm not saying you're always going to hear correctly. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he will always speak correctly. We don't always speak, hear correctly. <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves when we see all these difficulties happening is, where are these storms coming from? Is it the enemy that's throwing these, these storms at us? Because if it's the enemy, then why are we giving up so soon? That's a difficult thing. Because when, when do we say, I don't think God wants me to do it? You see, God is the only one that opens doors and no one can shut them. And he is the only one that can shut a door and nobody can open. And I believe that for us as believers, that is why it's so important that we are in his word so that we are constantly asking for direction and he leads our path. And if you go this way or this way, he's already opened the doors for you. It's, it's those once in a while things like, God, I have to make these decisions. It's like, where do I look? Where do I look? It's like, and it's like, you're fooling yourself. Because you haven't been in his word, acknowledging him in all your ways, and now you want to make these crazy decisions in your life? I, I think it's in those times that the enemy just steps in and just beats us up like nobody's business. I think sometimes God wants us to go through hard times so that we can learn how he works in the midst of those hard times instead of just giving up so easy. Again, were these guys here, were they just going to make it happen no matter what? It kind of almost looks like that, or was God taking over this whole decision-making and allowing these guys to go, to go through these hard times? I think oftentimes we need to ask ourselves these questions. Lord, are you in this storm? 
Because if this is what you're wanting me to go through, then I will go through it. I don't care how hard it is for as long as you want me to do it. Lord, is this one of your storms? And the Lord's going, no, is this the enemy trying to trip you up? Then I'm going to back up. I'm not going to move forward until I hear God telling me to move forward. Instead of fighting through and saying, well, I'm going to kick the door open, and God's going, go ahead, man. Continue to kick against the goads. You're never going to get anywhere. And we make it more and more difficult on ourselves because oftentimes if you're just in the Word and just asking for direction and you're patient, instead of going like, Lord, I'm reading your Word. Come on, come on. And it's like, just, just wait. Don't move until He tells you to move. Now, it's interesting because Paul in this situation is a prisoner. He has no say-so in the matter. Or does he? No, he doesn't. But yet, didn't God tell him, I'm going to get you to Rome? And, and he was probably thinking, of course, first class. No, I'm going to get you to Rome as a prisoner. And I'm sure he might have thought, like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm like the Apostle Paul. There's no way you want me to go in another class, like underneath a boat. You want me to go first class. Again, let's stop lying to ourselves and thinking that it's always going to be hunky-dory. It's always going to be a smooth sail. There's times that God allows us and wants us to be in those places of difficulty. Paul finds himself in this storm because other people made the decision to set sail. Others other decided, let's change ships, let's do this, let's do that. And Paul just has to go with the flow. And yet, it seems like he had this, this thing going, this doesn't look too good. It's not a great idea. And in verse 9, it says, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the, the fast was already over. Paul advised them. It sounds like because there were, they were waiting around that it became too dangerous. The, the time frame there was probably somewhere around early October to mid-October. And, and, and everything was changing here. And, and, and Paul... Now he decides, I'm going to say something. I'm going to tell these guys what they should be doing. Understand, he's a prisoner. But he has something to say, and somehow he gets their attention. And so after noticing, I don't think these guys know what they're doing right now. Paul decided that it was now time to say something. Was the Lord leading him to say something or not? It's quite possible that the Lord had already shown him, Paul, there's rough waters ahead. And he wanted them to know that. And so he lets them know, and yet he backs up, and they are the ones that are making this decision. Now, Paul knew a little something about the sea. Oh, I don't think he was much of a sailor, but he was an expert in shipwrecks. Because 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five, Paul says that three times he was shipwrecked 
a night and a day he spent in the deep. So he wasn't like a sailor sailor, but he was somehow always in these places that he found himself shipwrecked. <laughs> you almost want to go, did he tell anybody, hey guys, I've been in three shipwrecks. They're probably going, we don't want this guy on the boat. <laughs> maybe, again, he just maybe didn't say a word. But he finds himself in this place. And it says in verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion who was still in charge of Paul here, Julian, he, he's more persuaded by the helmsman and the old owner of the ship instead of what Paul is suggesting. I mean, it's only obvious. These guys are the experts. They have skin in the game. This guy owns the boat. He doesn't want his boat to get all jacked up. This, this helmsman guy, the captain or whoever he is, he, he doesn't want this on his record. He has to log that in. And so it's only obvious that, that Julian would pay attention to these guys. Paul's only a tent maker by trade. He's no sailor. So now Paul and the rest of the people that are on this ship are at the mercy of these other guys who are having to make decisions. And they are about to take off and it says that the south wind blew softly. So you can only imagine, man, as this soft wind is blowing softly, man, they're probably looking at Paul like, what does he know? And they set sail, it's like, man, I'm sure the lounge chairs were out in the deck, man. The buffet was open, man. Life was good, really good. Man, they're just digging life, man. It's, it's going to be a pleasure cruise. And I'm sure they're just dogging Paul, going, what do you know? What, what, what was that again, Paul? We're going to lose everything? It was now smooth sailing. So what we've seen so far, just in, in the first 13 verses, is that there are decisions that are being made. And even though Paul and those who are with them are not in charge in any way, shape, or form, there are people that make decisions in your life and in my life oftentimes. And we have no say. And yet it seems like, well, you know, we had some rough goes at it, but Everything's fine right now. Everything's good. There's not much that we can do when somebody else is in charge. I don't know about you, but I like being in charge sometimes. <laughs> I, I, I want to be the one that's making that decision, good or bad. I'd rather have good than bad. But when other people are making those decisions and it affects you, affects us, there's times that you just have to go with the flow. And in verse 14, it says, But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. The, the, and running under the shelter of the island called Cloda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. 
when, we, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground in the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and, and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, and the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and, a, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Man. This, it, it doesn't tell us the timeline. All it says is not, not long after that smooth sailing, it seemed like, that gentle breeze that they were going, and I'm sure they're going, man, we're making great time. That all of a sudden, this tempestuous headwind arose, Eurachlodon. Those are called Northeasterners. Some of you guys might know that. And th these are what's called hurricane-like winds. That doesn't sound like a good idea on a boat or on a ship. I don't care how big it is. I was talking to somebody in between services who was actually like in the Navy. He goes, oh man, it gets gnarly. I guess that's another term for, you know, on boats, gnarly. <laughs> he says, when you go up and you come down and there's nothing that you could see except... It, and, and so I'm only thinking... Wow, that's what these guys are going through. <laughs> it was smooth sailing, man. They probably shut the buffets down like really quick. And yet the decision was made to sail. And it went from good to bad rather quickly. And I don't know if that's ever happened in your life, that things, things seem to go rather smoothly, and all of a sudden, before you know it, something bad has gone, gone on in your life. And it happens that quick. And you're going, how, how is that even possible, God? Why would you allow that to happen when everything seemed to be going my way? I've been waiting for so long, and now finally all these things are going the way I thought that they should be going, and now everything is bad. It, it doesn't seem to make sense when things are going good that God would allow something bad to happen in our life. And then it seems like all of a sudden, as we're reading here, it went from bad to worse. And they're caught in the middle of the situation, and Paul did not make this decision. As a matter of fact, he told them, hey, we shouldn't do this. And I'm wondering if the helmsman, the captain, and the owner are going, man, we should have paid attention to that tent maker. We should have taken his, his advice. But again, when somebody that doesn't know what you do for a living or whatever, they're trying to tell you, hey, maybe that's not a good idea. You look at them like, what do you know? We're the professionals. I'm the professional here. I know exactly what to do. And so when the ship was caught, it seemed like the, 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 the crew didn't know what to do at this point. I don't know if they've been in other storms. I'm sure they have. But they just let the ship drift. They just let it go. It was caught in this. 
says at the end of verse 15, and they let her drive. Now, I can make a bad joke here about women driving. <laughs> and how it go, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to be in trouble. But that just kind of sounds a little funny, doesn't it? That, that when all everything's going wrong, it's like, and they let her drive. They just let it go. And maybe that's what I should do, too. Just let it go. Move on, Pastor Zeke. And so, so they, 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 they let the ship just drift because it was impossible to steer it. And, and these winds that are pretty gnarly and coming up, it drove the, the, the ship, this particular ship, some 23 miles to the south. They were, wanted to go west, but they now are headed south. And they're going towards this small island called Cloda, Cloda and, and that's where they're headed. And it says, we secured the skiff. It's like, what's a skiff? Well, I had to look all that stuff up. Some of you guys know what a skiff is. It's a lifeboat. It's a dinghy. It's a smaller boat attached to a bigger boat that, again, you probably use when you have to bail or something or to get to the shore. I don't know. But they have to bring it up because they didn't want it sloshing around probably to hit the boat and damage the boat or damage that one, so they brought it up. And again, you're going, why do I need these details? I don't know. But he gives us these details about this little boat that these guys were concerned about. And after they bring it up and secure it, it's, it also tells us that they, they sent ropes or cables and they girded the ship. So it looks like they went, I don't know how they did it, but they got the, the ropes underneath to, to secure this thing from breaking apart. It's a wood ship. And so they secure it. And so now they're, they're secure and yet they still don't know what to do here because the storm grew worse and, grew, and, and worse. And the ship is just going for it. We were exceedingly tempest-tossed, it says. And on the second day, they started throwing some of the cargo off. And by the third day, they jettisoned, abandoned, and ditched the furnishings of the boat. And, and notice that Luke puts himself in it, we had to do that. We had to take everything off. We had to start throwing everything off. And then it says in verse 20, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us. These guys are in the middle of nowhere. They can't see the sun. They can't see the stars. They have nowhere they, they have no, no way to figure out where exactly they are at. It's hard for them to determine their position. I, I think it's bad when you're in a situation and you really don't know what's going on. But I think it's worse when you're in a situation and those who should know what's going on don't know what's going on either. That's a pretty scary thought. I was telling first service, it almost seems like that's where we're at today in this world. Nobody knows what's going on. Those who should know what's going on can't even tell us exactly what's going on. And you're going, man, we're in perilous times right now because nobody knows what's going on. Nobody has direction. Nobody knows exactly what we're to do. 
And so we can find ourselves in places like that. Here are these guys, they are in this boat and everything's falling apart. They don't even know which direction to turn, which direction to, to, to guide this boat because they can't steer it all. And what happens? All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. That's a bad place to be. The situation seemed so hopeless. And all of that happened because somebody decided to set sail. And now everybody that's on the ship is in danger of losing their lives. They decided not to pay attention to this tent maker who happened to be also a messenger of God. I don't know if they knew that. I don't know if Julius had heard about his background. I don't know if Julius was going, man, I should have paid attention to him because I've heard these crazy stories of what God does in this man's life. But he, he, he's in this place that is just hopeless. All of them are hopeless. They've all given up any hope of surviving. These guys were sailors, the guys that, that were on the crew. They probably had seen stuff like this, but they're all feeling we're dead. Nothing can get us out of this. In verse 21 to verse 29. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you, Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I, I belong and, to, and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe God that it will be just as, as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the 14th night had come, as, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were nearing, uh, they were drawing near s some land. And they took soundings and found that it was 20 fathoms. And then, and when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found that it was 15 fathoms. Then, fearing lest they should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Again, decisions have been made in these people's lives throughout this chapter that we've seen. And, and all of them being in this hopeless state, I think the last thing you want to hear is, you should have listened to me. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in that position, making a decision, and it's not maybe the brightest or the greatest decision, and somebody's 
telling you back here, you should have listened to me, you should have listened to me. I told you so, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying who that could be. But there might be people in your life that you're going, I always hear that voice. <laughs> However, whoever it comes from. But again, somebody telling you, you should have paid attention to what I was telling you. Now, that's the last thing you want to hear. But that's exactly what Paul says. That's exactly what he says. As he now steps up and, and, and brings hope to this whole situation. That's not to say that Paul wasn't scared in this whole situation. I'm sure there was some fear. Maybe he was a little or a lot nervous. But this wasn't his first rodeo or shipwreck, I should say. He was fine. Now, this is what Warren Wiersbe, he's a commentator that I read often, or many, many times, most of the time. This is what he says, Paul began as a prisoner, but ended as a captain. Now, Warren Wiersbe was, was quoting another gentleman by the name of Joseph Parker, but Warren Wiersbe continues in his commentary. It says this, Paul took over. Paul took over the situation when it was obvious that no one else knew what to do. A crisis does not make a person. A crisis shows what a person is made of. And it tends to bring true leadership to the fore. Paul gently rebuked the centurion, pilot, and captain for ignoring his wisdom, or not, not his wisdom, his, his warning. But soon... They would, dis they would discover that God had spared all of them only because of Paul. Close quote. There, there are times that we end up finding ourselves in situations, difficult situations, that we didn't ask for. That, that we could even say they were hopeless situations. You, you didn't see a way out. There's no possible way to get out of this situation. And it was all because other people's decisions and you had nothing to say about it. And you found yourself in this place going, Lord, what is going on? I don't get it, Lord. I've been seeking your face. I've been following after you. I've been doing what I thought I should be doing. And why do I find myself in a place, not because I made that decision, Lord, because somebody else made it for me. But can I tell you that God is able to meet his people right where they are at? To remind them who he is? And his promises? Even in some of the most hopeless situations they might find themselves in. Whether they brought it on themselves or other people made those decisions. God is able to meet you right where you're at. Paul, in this situation, again... All these guys felt like, we're not going to make it. They're in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. They haven't seen the sun. They haven't seen the stars. They don't know which way to turn. Where, where are we going to go right now? And God is able 
to show up in the most hopeless situations. Because we see it here. And because of that, Paul steps up. Even with the I told you so. He steps up, he says, I urge you, take heart. Why would someone say that when, when, when everybody is hopeless? Take heart. Sometimes you're going, I don't want to hear it. I, I, I have no way out, and you're telling me to take heart? My heart is gone, bro. Everything is done. Now, I don't think the way he came across, people were going, oh, shut up, as some might say. I think he came across in such a way, even when he said, hey, man, you should have listened to me. But take heart. I could almost guarantee you there was, it was almost like joyous news when somebody's like, this guy's taking charge. Who is this guy? He's not the captain. He's not, he's not the centurion. He's not, he's not the owner. He's, he's one of the prisoners, and yet he's saying, hey, take heart, guys. All these guys whose hope was gone, you have someone who stands up in confidence, and I would guarantee you it was not arrogance, but he stands up in confidence and he says there is hope. There's hope in the middle of the situa situation. Why? Because there stood by me an angel, and this is where somebody's like, really? An angel. I don't think these, these guys is like, I don't care, what did the angel tell you, bro? They were so lost, they were so hopeless, that I don't care what you got to share with me right now, just share it with me. But I love the fact that he says, there stood by me an angel, an angel of, of the God whom I belong to and whom I serve. And he tells me, do not be afraid, Paul. And this is what I love, that in the middle of this storm, in the middle of this situation where there's no direction for them, in the middle of this hopeless scenario that's going on right now, God shows up and calls your name. Don't be afraid, Paul. What a comfort that is. I don't know if you've ever heard God just mention your name. When you're going through it, and all of a sudden you're going, you mean, Lord, you didn't forget who I was? Because I don't know if, about you, but I know if I was in a situation like that, I'm, I'm probably thinking, Lord, you just hate me. I was supposed to get to Rome, Lord. I'm not getting to Rome. Everything's falling down around me, Lord. How, how do I pick myself up right here? How do I even look to you? Because nobody knows what to do. And yet to hear, his, hear your name in the middle of a situation like this. And he comforts you by saying, don't be afraid. I've already told you you're going to get to see Caesar. You, you, you could imagine that at that very moment, he just felt strengthened. And, and, and then I... I was thinking of in that whole situation of the despair that they are going in. There's that old saying where there is, there is no atheist in foxholes. Everybody's desperate. In this situation, there's no atheist in a sinking, sinking ship. Sinking ship. 
And, and once again, at this moment, Paul, he gets to share with the rest of the people on this boat what God is doing in his life. He didn't choose it. He didn't make the decision to be in that situation. And yet the Lord ministered to him in such a way that as the Lord built him up, he was now able to go to the rest of the guys and build them up. Because when God starts ministering to our souls and building us up and taking us out of those situations, that is when we can comfort others with the same comfort we've been ministered to. In verse 26, he says, However, we must run aground on a certain island. Did you get that? He didn't calm the storm. He didn't take them out of the situation. He kept them in that situation. They were still going to run aground. And I think oftentimes it's like, oh, okay, God, you're right there. It's like, okay, everything's going to be great now. It's like, oh, no, you're still going to crash. What do you mean, God? What do you mean crash still? Why would I still have to crash? You've spoken to me. You've told me I'm going to go see Caesar. Oh, yeah, but it's going to be months from now. It's like, what? What? You showed up. You see, the storm didn't stop. But God met him right in the middle of the storm. He was still going to have to go through the storm. God wasn't going to pull him out of the storm or fix the storm. It was still going to run aground. It would still be months before he got to Rome. And yet, there's still hope. There is now hope in the situation. God met him there. And guys, I would much rather be in the middle of the storm, knowing that God has spoken to me and remembers my name, and know that I'm in his will than out of a storm and not in God's will. And it's important for us to understand that there's, there's times that he allows you to be right in the middle of the storm, but he has not forgotten you. He will meet you through the storm. Oh, there are times, and I love it, when he takes us out of the storm. It's like, whew, he says, peace, be still. And it's like, yes, thank you, Jesus. And other times it's like, no, you're still going to run aground. It's like, no. And so he tells them, now it's the 14th night. They had been at this for two weeks. Again, it's a lifetime for some of us. Two weeks in a storm? Yes. The ship had been driven over 500 miles off course. And they were adrift in the Adriatic Sea. And they're taking soundings and you're going, again, details I don't need to know. It's like, no, we, we need to know that God was in this because he's telling them, hey, take some soundings right now because the, over there, there there's, there's land over there. And so they start realizing that they went from 120 feet to 90 feet. They're going, oh my gosh, there's land. They couldn't see anything. It's in the middle of the night. But now they understand there is hope. This guy's already told us their hope. All of a sudden, we're still in the storm. We're still going to crash, but there's some land somewhere. That's why I don't go in the sea. Because if you can't see anything, it's like, mm -mm, not for me. I don't like it. And so perhaps they can hear, you know, everything was sounding different. It's like, oh, okay, 
We're, we're, we're at least going in that direction where God's going to take care of us. And they prayed for daylight to come. And I don't know about you, but I don't like dark. And there's something to be said about the light. That even if situations are going bad, as long as I could still see it. Because if it's dark and you can't see where it's coming from, man, it's just even scarier. But at least with daylight, you might still be in the situation, but at least you can see around you. And that's what they were praying for. It wasn't the ideal situation, but God had showed up. <laughs> I'm going to finish here. Um, it says, And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff to the sea, into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. And when the soldiers, then the soldiers cut away the rope from the skiff, of the skiff, and let it fall off. As the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eating nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment. For this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And, then he, and when he had broken it, began to eat. He began to eat. And when they, all, they were all encouraged and also took food themselves, and in all... We were 276 persons on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And so, again, they, they started heading towards that place where they could, they could run aground. And these guys that were on the ship, they decided, well, we're going to escape this thing before we do that. And, and, and whether it was a selfish act or a revolt, what it truly was, was an act of unbelief. Even though this guy has brought hope to the whole people, these guys are still going, we still don't believe this guy. We're going to go save ourselves. And they were, part, for the most part, putting themselves in danger because God had promised that he would save all of them. And yet, they, they took measures, emergency measures, to cut these things off and everybody was going to stay together. And yet, when the day was dawning, I love that Paul sets a good example here. That even people of faith need to take practical measures. And that is, it's time to eat. We need to eat because this is going to be a strength for us. And even though they were wishing that things would change or trying to escape, what was necessary is that they take in some elements, something to eat, so that they could all be together and stuff. And I love the fact that Paul... He does something so practical that when he brings the food out, he decides, let me pray over it before we get going. And I don't think he made a show of it, you know, as some people might do in a restaurant. It's like, dude, hush. You know, it's like, calm down. I, again, I don't think there was any arrogance in Paul when he says, guys, let's pray before. I could guarantee you, every one of those sailors, every one of those, those soldiers, they bowed their head. Why? Because all of a sudden, this guy's in charge. And they're going to do what this guy tells them to do. 
And so in verse 39 to the end of the chapter here, it says, When it was day, and they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with the beach into which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosening the rudder rope, the rudder rope, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the plow, prow struck fast and remained unmovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their, their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest on some boards and some on parts of the ship. And so, they, so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. Yay! They made it, right? Guys, as we've looked at this chapter, and again, there's, there's plenty of detail. And some of you guys are like, yeah, that was a lot of reading, Pastor Zeke. And I really didn't need to know all of that. But again, I, I want to share with you what I shared with you in the beginning. God is a God of details. And He is concerned with every last little detail of your life and what you're going through. He really is. He's concerned. And in regards to all these storms, let me just say, there's a saying that maybe you've heard, and we should know this, that life is a series of storms. You are either headed into a storm, in the middle of a storm, coming out of a storm, or preparing for the next storm. That is our life, people. That is our life. This life is a storm, and there are different types of storms. And some of them are big, some of them are storms, are, are smaller storms, but they're storms nonetheless. And there are times that we fare better than other times throughout the storms of life. And sometimes you're better prepared for one storm than the other. And sometimes you just think like, man, everything's good. And then the storm hits you broadside. And you, you, you have no clue how you got in this situation. And yet, there are storms in our lives that will devastate us. And they will shatter everything. And all of a sudden, you find yourself with nothing. And all you have is a foundation. And if Jesus is not your foundation, what are you going to rebuild on? Because when everything is lost, as long as we still have Jesus in our life, guys, then there's hope. There's hope for us. Because God always brings us hope. Never give up on that hope. Because there's times that you want to. And I want to encourage you, don't. He knows your name. He knows your name. And he will meet you in the most hopeless situations because he loves you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just allowing us the privilege, Jesus, to read scripture like this, Lord. Lord, there's so much that was in this portion, Lord. And I know that we could have lingered a lot more, Lord, but I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you for meeting us in those times of desperation, Lord. I thank you for those times, Lord God, that when we feel hopeless, we hear, we hear you call our name.
I thank you for that, Lord. I don't know what my brothers and sisters are going through, Lord. I pray for them right now. May you give them hope. Remind them, Lord, that you know their name. Lord, you haven't forgotten them. I pray that if there's anyone here who, who doesn't know you and they've been adrift for a long time, Lord, I pray that right now you would draw them to yourself. Call them, Lord, by their name. Call them right now, Lord. Show them, Lord, that you know who they are. Draw them to a place of repentance, Lord. Turn them. Jesus, we look to you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for your love for us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Let's stand as we sing this last song. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be somebody up here for, for prayer.